0: Reading Short and Deep Hi, I'm Jesse And I'm Eric And today we're reading Short and Deep Binding Deluxe uh, Later republished as Bindings Deluxe With an expanded uh, length and slightly slightly different story But uh, different illustration as well The version we're reading out of today is from Marvel Tales, May 1934. And I first read it in the longer version, which was in Weird Tales, uh, which was January 1943. So, 34 to 43. But I also managed to track down the uh, original uh, TypeScript, which was dated. So we know know, when he, he finished typing it up, I guess maybe that's the original way he made it. It's he he did have a typewriter. We know that because another story we've covered uh talked about his relationship with his typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> or the author's uh, the character's relationship with the typewriter, but I think it's really the author insert.
1: David B. Keller that
0: is. David Keller's, yes. Um and that was M- March 27th, 1933. So this story has had uh, a, f- a few variations. Um but uh I also think it's interesting because there's a little bit of autobiographical stuff about the outer narrator, uh, in the story. And he says that, uh, at least in the, um, the longer version, he says, uh, my time in the army, uh, examining men to see if they're fit for service. And that is, uh, uh, Keller's job was Keller's job, right? He was a army, uh, physician, and a psychiatrist,
1: so he, he was. He was rather proud of that. He claimed to be, and for all I know, his claim is correct. The first actual psychiatrist to write for the pulps. Mm-hmm.
0: And he is a terrific writer. Uh, I I read a letter um, from August Derleth, uh denigrating his ability to write, and I'm like, August Derrilith, I've read your stuff. You're just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know I don't I don't think we've ever done a show on an August Daryl story and it's not because he's not important to science fiction and fantasy but his importance is as a publisher and as a promoter not as a writer I don't think his, his writing is anywhere close to being as good or, or as interesting as David H. Keller's um, Keller is not one of the big three in Weird Tales and the big three changes depending on who you talk to and at what time but it includes H.P. Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith, Seabury uh, Quinn, or Robert E. Howard. I would put David Keller in the in in there. He's not as famous as those guys, but he was a consistent and pretty terrifically interesting writer. And he did get the cover a few times, which is something that never happened to H.P. Lovecraft while he was alive. So mm. why don't we? Why don't we? Uh, See what the, re- what the listener thinks by having you read us the story.
1: I do not like women. I feel the same way, was my reply. Now, when it comes to men or books, why, that is something different. We were in the Turkish bath and just starting in with a sweat. Only two of us in the room on steamer chairs, temperature at 170 and Feeling much more like 200, the other man had been in for some time before I entered and looked as though he were beginning to suffer. At least he had reached the point of irritation. I thought that this cutaneous irritability might be the reason for his outburst against the fair sex. At least there was no other reason. To make it stronger, he repeated the idea with variations. I just don't like them. They do things differently. They think differently. I don't even know that they can think, perhaps just react to their emotions. Why? I have seen women do things that a man wouldn't think of doing. Fond of books? You bet, I replied. Ought to be. I collect them and bind them. Make a living binding and spend it buying. Make a specialty of early Pennsylvania imprints. I have some nice books, he sighed as he said it. And then continued, a few of them are rather rare. Odd. I'm a binder myself. Must get out of here. I I can stand so much, and then the heat worries me. He walked out, a rather portly middle-aged man. Ten minutes later, I followed him. An hour later, I caught up with him in the sunray room. He was exposing his back to the lamps. I looked at that back, sat down quietly on the cot next to his, and kept on looking. At last, I was satisfied that what I saw in his skin was really there, and then made myself comfortable and started to think it over. I had never seen anything like that back, not once. On all the thousands and hundreds of thousands of men I had examined in the Army, had I ever seen a back like that, of course, it was something that could not be discussed, certainly nothing that one man could ask another man about. But if he offered to tell you of his own accord, it certainly would be interesting. After the alcohol rub, I invited him to have something to eat. Wrapped in sheets, we became acquainted over a Swiss sandwich and a cup of coffee. We found that being book binders, we had much in common. He was an older man than I, perhaps 20 years older. But when I told him of binding an erotica in rattlesnake skin for a customer, he had to acknowledge that it was a new idea. And rather appropriate, he added, because it would not have been an erotica without having a woman in it for a villain. And if a woman is not a rattlesnake, I'd like to have you tell me just what she is. I agreed with him. At least I let him think I did. He evidently did not like women, and I wanted to know why. But above all, I wanted to know about his back. So I sat there saying all the mean things I could think of about the sex and rather glad that I was in a bathhouse instead of my own house where my wife could hear me. Of course, she would have known I was fooling, but she never did like it if I gave my opinion of her sister's. It all ended in his inviting me to visit him the next time I came to Boston. I told him that it would be soon, and he said that the sooner it was, the better pleased he would be. And could I bring him over some rattlesnake skin? Three weeks later, I sat in his library. The supper served by the Chinese boy was fine, and his wine and tobacco even better. We were rather mellow and confidential by the time the supper was over. Remembering his favorite dislike, I ventured to recall it. I don't like women. Are you married? he asked. Yes, I admitted. Then you ought to know about them. If they can, they certainly will make a fool out of a man I was in love once, just once, but the woman nearly killed me, and that taught me a lesson. Is your wife sadistic? Has she ever tried to kill you? Not yet. Of course, she has told me several times what she thinks of my bridge game. Better be careful. She may poison you someday. I hope not, and so do I, but you be on your guard. I'm naturally suspicious of all of them, and that's why I'm alive today, and the other poor fellow is dead. So some of them died? Twenty-five of them, some of my best friends among them. Of course, a few I was not acquainted with, but all were nice boys. Was it during the war, I asked. I wanted to get him started on the story and was sure that he would tell it if it were properly led up to. It was a war, a sure enough war, but rather one-sided. Men have a poor show when a woman gets after them. Women are clever, I admitted. This one was, and beautiful, just about as wonderful a female as the devil ever made. Genesis says she was first made by another deity. Wrong, he cried. Man, perhaps, was made in the garden, but the woman was made below and crawled over the fence in the dark of the moon. Poor Adam, if he had only had enough sense to hit her on the head with a big stone and continued the race with some form of Parthenogenesis, what a beautiful world it would have been. Have another drink and tell me the whole story, I urged. It was some years ago that it started. He began, you were probably in high school at the time. Some of us in the trade thought of organizing an international association of bookbinders. There were 26 of us, all wealthy, all young, and all enthusiastic over books and their covers. We were all single, wedded, you might say, to our art. We held a meeting once a year, read papers and exhibited specimens of our bindings a week out of every 52, spent in good fellowship, clean, wholesome, profitable pleasure. For four years, we carried on the meetings and then... A woman applied for membership. It was at the London meeting. She came well-introduced, and it was just impossible to deny her the right to attend the meetings of the society. As a member of the organization, I was able to prevent her from being elected to membership, but some of the younger fellows thought I was wrong. They argued that so long as she was a bookbinder, she should be permitted to join, and that there was nothing in the bylaws to keep a woman out. I tried to amend the bylaws but I was outvoted. So there she was. And the next year she turned up at Paris and had a paper all ready to read. I guess she knew how to bind a book. In fact, I know that she knew how. But some of the statements she made in that paper were just about impossible and showed her to be just an amateur, not at all the proper person to belong to our society. In the discussion of her paper, we told her so. Man after man rose and explained to her just how much in error she was in this point and that. She waited until we were through our criticism and then simply said she was right. And she knew she was right because she had the Encyclopedia Britannica, 26 volumes of it. And the very statement she had made was in those 26 books, as we could find out for ourselves if we would only take the trouble to do so. At the very idea that a person could learn to bind a book from reading the Britannica, we laughed. Finally, we became rather silly about it and passed from simple laughter to masculine hee-hawing. She simply sat there, first red and then white, and at last she said she would see us later on and left the room. Some of the men realized then that they had behaved harshly to a beautiful woman and started to make amends. At the next meeting, she failed to attend. Ten of our younger members, likewise, were absent, just 16 present at Chicago. At the San Francisco meeting the following year, there were only six. In the following not one of the old crowd accepted my invitation to come to Boston. Not one. They were all either dead or fed up on the idea of an international society of bookbinders. I was worried and decided to spend a few months and some money to find out what was the matter with them. Investigation showed that all of them had done about the same thing. One by one in the last three years, they had gone to Spain and disappeared. That seemed queer to me. But when I returned to Boston and found a letter there, it became a little clearer. The lady, Leonora Sonata, was asking me to come to Spain. The reason was not at all clear, but it seemed that she was lonely and wanted my advice in regard to some of her work. Would I come if expenses and other financial matters were attended to? My mind was not working fast, but at last I identified her. She was the bookbinder who had read such a foolish paper at the Paris meeting. All the rest of the boys had made the trip to Spain, and now she was asking me to make it. Why? And where were the other 25? I went. With my fingers crossed and knowing I was doing something foolish, I went. Not till I met her at her castle did I realize why I went. Once I saw her, I knew I was in love with her. Perhaps I had been in love with her from the first. Oh, of course I was a fool, but I was younger then, and she was very beautiful." She entertained me. It was hard to understand it all. We were very much alone. There seemed to be no servants. At least I never saw anyone else. From the day I drove my car into the courtyard of her castle to the day I drove out, we were alone. And she was very lovely. I cannot tell you what we talked about, but it must have been something silly because, you see, I was in love with her and I told her so. I forgot about the mystery of the 25 bookbinders. I forgot about my hatred of women. And the only thing I could remember was that I was very young. One night after being particularly nice to me, she drugged me. When I awoke with a splitting headache, I found that she had me spread-eagled, tied hand and foot to the four corners of one of her Spanish beds, and she was in a chair waiting for me to wake so she could talk to me. I didn't say anything, but I did a lot of thinking, especially about the other 25 bookbinders. It did not take her long to tell her story. It seems that after the Paris meeting, she had become dissatisfied with her Britannica, not with the pages, but with the bindings, so one at a time, she had invited the members of the association, the men who had laughed at her to come and visit her one at a time. She had made them insane with her beauty and one at a time. She had drugged and tied them then on their backs. She had tattooed in purple ink the words Encyclopedia Britannica, volume one or volume two, or three, or ten, as the case might be. Later on, she took the skin, tanned it, and bound her volumes, one man's skin for each binding, and I was to serve as leather for the last one, volume twenty-six. Shivering, I laughed at my host. I had suspected all the time, but now I knew he was spoofing me. But the thing is impossible, I cried. You cannot take enough skin off a man's back to bind a Britannica without killing him. Who said she didn't kill them? He retorted savagely. Of course she killed them and buried them. I saw the graveyard. Perhaps you do not believe me. It's all true. She told me about it, and then she started to work on me. You saw my back in the bathhouse. She finished that part of the last job. Do you want to see it in a good light? No, I replied, rather ashamed of my suspicions. I saw your back. The words Encyclopedia Britannica, Volume 26, are there in purple ink and properly spaced, so if you were skinned, it would serve for a binding, but... You know, it really did not happen. Such things don't occur these days. I'll show you the books, he cried, and flung open a bookcase. There they were, with the titles in purple ink. I examined one. I never saw leather like that, I murmured. Probably not, because it is made from human skin. Well, there is all that is left of my 25 friends. A nice story, I said, a nice bedtime story, but incomplete. You say 25 of your friends died. You were prepared for the last volume. Your back shows that, yet there is volume 26, all bound like the rest. How about that? Look at it, he urged. I picked it out and carefully examined it. It is different, I cried incredulously. It's like the others, but the leather is finer, of a different grain. It should be, he admitted, for that last book is bound with female skin. That is all that is left of the Lady Leonora Sonata. But you don't mean to say just that. She thought she was clever, but I outwitted her. At the last moment, I turned the tables on her. I bound that last book with her skin, and now I have all of the old society together. Rather gingerly, I replaced the 26th volume. That is why you hate women the way you do, I asked? That's why he laughed coldly. Whenever I feel there is a woman becoming too interested in me, I come in here and look at my Encyclopedia Britannica in the deluxe binding.
0: A <laughs> uh, gruesome tale, indeed. Uh, all right. Um, so the the differences between the two versions is is very small. It's it's basically just a a little expansion here and there. Um, The the, uh, later version has uh, more details about the Chinese boy who serves him rather than a female who would cook his dinners and uh, the neighborhood uh, in Boston where he lives. Um, But essentially, and and I guess the the word bindings versus binding is kind of important um, because binding doesn't have the s as in there's male and the female binding <laughs> so maybe he right. thought a little bit about that um uh very psychological story it's a it's a woman hater story which is something i i i sort of i guess i first learned about with the uh there was a a cartoon not, it wasn't a cartoon it was a it was like a cartoon it was uh the little rascals you you know about them right I do. Um, so they had like a a girl haters club or something like that, uh, or a fort that said no girls allowed. And I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> so this is some some um, strange phenomena. I guess there are segregated, you know, gender segregated schools still, but integrating and uh, integrating the genders into one school and one society is not that weird to us. But apparently, uh, you know, there were clubs that excluded women from them. And this was one of them. And we can see his justification for it. But he's as monstrous as she is. She, He killed her and then bound her the way she wanted to bind him for revenge. Who are we
1: yep. supposed to root for here, Eric? Um, I don't root for anybody here. Um, I, I'm kind of wondering as I read this whether or not Keller, who is a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. does Keller, what is it, what is he trying to get across to us? If, if I knew David Keller, Mm -hmm. um, I would want to have a talk with him. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are so many signals here of, of, well, Turkish baths Mm -hmm. are renowned and have been renowned, uh, From before this period, so all the way back to Victorian times, Mm -hmm. Turkish baths were renowned as places for homosexual assignation.
0: It's a male domain.
1: It's a male domain. And he comes into this place, and the other guy was there first, and he sits down right next to him. The place Mm -hmm. is otherwise empty, Mm -hmm. but he sits down right next to him, right? And he follows him out, and they're sitting there in their sheets, and they're talking. About Um, hating women. (laughs) About hating women. Now, the guy says, I let him think I hate women. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there certainly have been loads and loads of, you know, there have been lots of married people who let someone else think that they're not married mm-hmm. so that they can have sex with them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, whether you're picking up a heterosexual or a homosexual liaison, people do dissimulate in order to have sexual relations. This guy says at the end, that is, the this person... Our narrator says, so that's why you hate women? And he says, yes. But in fact, that's not why he hates women. No. Because in fact, he hated her to begin with. Yes. He was vigorously trying to keep her from joining the society. So what is there about her that makes him hate women? That she is very beautiful. Mm. In fact, that she is very beautiful overcomes every other feature of her. He doesn't believe she can even think.
0: hmm
1: Right. Because she's beautiful, what we don't know, and I how does he outwit her? how is it that twenty five other guys managed to to die at her hands mm-hmm. but he figured out a way to get out <laughs> and, um, yeah.
0: she bound them I, she bound them in sequence right she didn't uh, start with. Number 25 and work her way down. She started with number one and worked her way up. So he's 26. Exactly. But why did she hold him for last? Was he the, the most egregious woman hater in the group? It seems like it. Because other men were uh, feeling bad for what they had done. Uh, and perhaps even he had. Uh, but his turn from being a, a woman hater to being in love with her is very quick. And then uh, he's back to hating women again, and he hated them so. Uh, one in particular so much, uh, he he cut her up and added her to the collection. Now the whole group is back together. It's the it, it is incredibly strange and a period piece. Like if you tried to write this today, it wouldn't
1: hold water. <laughs> it, it may be that he outwitted her because. She wanted to toy with him more. Maybe. You know, it, when, you, when you tattoo somebody, um, the, the tattoo is not instantly what we see on people walking down the street. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to heal, right? Mm-hmm. And so these people may have been tattooed while they were on the bed. But, you know, if it's their backs that are being tattooed, then um, judging from what he says, their conversation, um, he must have been on his front. Mm -hmm. So somehow or other, he must have been able to engage her in ways the others couldn't, lending weight to your notion that she particularly Mm -hmm. savored getting him because he was the most misogynistic. But he was perhaps the most misogynistic because he was the one who was most desperately trying to um, suppress his homophobia Mm -hmm. uh, because he himself was homoerotic. And yet and yet a woman a beautiful woman only reminded him of, of you know, what else he should have been but was not. There's, there's a very interesting parallel here for me in this story with Dracula.
0: Oh, I made uh, that note myself. Um, <laughs>
1: uh, I don't mean to steal your thunder. Go for it. Jesse.
0: Well, th- this is where I wrote the note. I said, Dracula, she entertained me delightfully. She sang like a lark and knew how to bedevil a man. We were very much alone. There seemed to be no servants. They must have been extraordinarily well trained, for surely there must never have been some. There must have been some serving folk, but I never remember seeing any from the first day I drove my car into the courtyard, a courtyard of her castle, to the day I drove out. Um, so, in Dracula, uh, which is a, a seduction, he's brought to Dracula's castle uh, for business, right? And then is denied the ability to leave, somehow escapes, and the rest of the story follows from that. Dracula cooks him a, cooks um, Harker a chicken. He <laughs> must have cooked him because there was no servants. There are three wives hiding somewhere in the...
1: Or, Actually keeps them there. It's not just one meal, it keeps them there for quite a while. Yeah. While Hark Harker is going over his his uh, Harker is a lawyer and he's going over Dracula's estate. Mm-hmm.
0: So it it is it is a Dracula scene, absolutely. I I I thought of that and um she is a psychopath of some kind, right? But she's almost supernatural as well in her ability to seduce men, even men who are uh, we don't assume everybody in this bookbinding men's club was gay uh but certainly we think that about the, the the inner narrator
1: yes and certainly we think that the men in the bookbinders club were rude they were they believed in the patriarchy they mm-hmm. you know they they felt that it was somehow appropriate to hoot her out of the room um Even though what she said was, in fact, in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a a second echo of that scene uh, of Harker being served by by Dracula. When our narrator comes to Mm. the bookbinder's home, Mm -hmm. there's only a Chinese boy. Yep. No other servants. Now... Um, for better or worse, the stereotypes of homosexuality in that period include the notion that uh, Chinese boys make terrific catamites. Mm. And while this woman, Leonora Sonata... Um, oh, by the way, her name, uh, I looked it up.
0: It means Lady Dream or Lady Dreamed of."
1: No, was, sorry. It's, no. It, yeah, I, I thought so too because... Uh, Swayo is dream. Sonata means sounded. Oh, okay. I thought it was lady dream too, but I double-checked. My Spanish is a little rusty. Well, maybe Keller thought so too. (laughs) That may be. Yeah. That certainly may be. Um, The the fact that he has to have at least a visible servant where she can make do with no servants, I think that's sort of an interesting... um, comparison there that she was more monstrous in his telling than than he was but he was still monstrous i mean
0: they're they're twins even. of each other except except that she was isolated she had to learn bookbinding from the encyclopedia whereas they are all teaching each other and then when she dips her toe into this society wants to run in the men's world they make a mockery of her and accuse her of being a stupid woman they mansplain to her
1: the question always yes they do the question always arises with one of these characters how did they become that way Mm -hmm. was she isolated because as in the case of Wells as the invisible man um, it seems like he's isolated because he's power hungry But later when we find out he's an albino and has always been rejected and ostracized by his schoolmates, it was society's fault. Mm -hmm. Is it that this woman who has a castle like Dracula Mm -hmm. and is wealthy, is she isolated because she is evil? Or did she become this person that she is because she loved too much? She wanted too much as Dracula did right? I mean, in, you know, Dracula commits, he kills and commits suicide over love and that's how he becomes Dracula. He's cursed with that. Two, He commits two mortal sins but he does it out of desire. Uh, he, he mistakenly kills the woman he loves and in you know, remorse kills himself for it. Two mortal sins made into a vampire. What is it that Leonora might have done that made her into the monster that she is? And it seems to me that the story suggests one thing whether or not Keller intended it or not and that is she wanted knowledge mm-hmm. so when this guy says I don't know if women can even think what Keller is giving us is the kind of ostracism that women find from male society even before they do anything maybe she became a monster because of how men have treated her maybe in fact under the these echoes of homosexuality and male bonding and male secret societies and trying to impose themselves on everything to bind everything and put covers that's around all knowledge that's right
0: the encyclopedia
1: the Britannic exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: It, it, it's very it's i find I find this story very interesting because I think that this shows how good a writer Keller is. The detailed difference between the two stories is like every tiny little detail that's added is just a little polish. So one of the details missing from the original is they have they don't just have a, a drink. They have a lunch, and the lunch is of a Swiss sandwich. I was like... Swiss sandwich, what's that? It's just a sandwich of Swiss cheese, right? But Swiss cheese makes you think of the perspiration, which makes you think of the skin, right? and and that Turkish bath and 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 the setting is also refined a bit. Like we see the inner narrator's own castle, which is in a in a fancy neighborhood of Boston, where the view is of a beautiful uh, expensive neighborhood park. And we see the, the color of the wood, and we see the amazing binding, and and yet uh, he's just done the same thing to the Keller stand-in, the outer narrator, right? He's, he's invited him to his home. <laughs> he's done the seduction, right? Telling them the story. I get the sense that uh, the outer narrator has escaped, uh, gone home, and write up, wrote up this story for us to read. <laughs> Um, so he, he didn't, he didn't quite fall into the trap, but we also know that he doesn't hate his wife the way, uh, like he is not identical to the inner narrator. He, he does love his wife and yeah, they don't, uh, they don't agree perfectly about everything, but the Keller stand in is not a woman hater. He's he's just saying women are different. <laughs> he plays into this guy's... He, he's seducing him in a certain sense to get that story out of him, right? I'm intrigued yeah. by your tattoo, sir. <laughs> he, he
1: does... He is that. He does that. But he also tells us that he's examined thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of men in the army. And by golly, he does wind up sitting down right next to this guy. Mm-hmm. Even in an empty place. So... You know, that doesn't mean he's a woman hater. No. And it doesn't mean he's actively homosexual. But it does mean that he is not giving us deep insight, at least not explicitly, into his own feelings. So this story, it seems to me, is about that narrator. Mm -hmm. And it's about Keller, even though it seems to be about this woman and about the, the fatality attracting, uh, attached to beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, there's always more to say.
0: Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio.